0: Kendall's world in Sports, I'll say it again and again and again and again and again, the most unique, funky, groovin and entertaining sports talk podcast you can listen to. Today on the podcast, week four of the NFL, can my Washington Snyder Skins rebound after getting whooped and ground the Atlanta Falcons? Who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears this week? And if it's not Justin Fields, why does Matt Nagy still have employment with this franchise? Kansas City versus Philadelphia. If Kansas City can't lay the smackdown offensively against these Eagles, now Kansas City fans, you should be concerned. The game of the century is nothing but that. Tampa at New England, the return of the Tom's. All this talk about who is responsible for what, who, what, when, how, why. Who's responsible for the dynasty? Who's a better player? Who's all these type of things? Stop all the nonsense. This game means nothing in the totality of the season. This game means nothing. For Tom Brady, this game means nothing. For Bill Belichick, this game means nothing. For Mac Jones, this game, ah, we got something here. Wendell's World and Sports. Rate, review and enjoy. Give me them 5 stars, give me them reviews. Special dedication going out for those who are listening in Australia. Special dedication for those who are listening in Bangladesh. Special dedication for those who are listening in California. Special dedication for those who are listening in Vegas. Special dedication for those who are listening in Canada. Special dedication for those who are listening in Brazil. Special dedication for those who are listening in Paris, France. Special dedication for those who are listening to the most remarkable, energetic, passionate sports talk podcast going Wendell's World in Sports. So now, without further ado, let's get to the program. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim, double clutch, no good, tip. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, rip, roaring, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Rip, roaring, and ready to go, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World and Sports, so glad that you could be with us. K pasa mi amigos, Miyama Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Namaste, Wawasa, wassalamu alaykum, my brothers and sisters, shalom, Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I do, very quickly, I just need to ask, I just need to, I just want to find out, you doing all right? You're doing good. You're doing everything that you need to do to make this place, to make this world, to make this society, to make your block, to make your household, to make your neighborhood, to make your state, to make your region a better place to be. Listening, learning, educating, shutting up, listening, learning, respecting those who may not look like you, those from a different background than you, those with a different skin color than you, those of a different gender than you, those who worship a different God than you. Are you listening? Are you learning? Are you doing everything that you need to do? to make this world a better place to be where it's judged on the moral fiber and character of someone, not based on what side of the tracks they were born on, who they love, who they worship, what's what their skin tone is, all of those type of things. I hope that you're doing everything that we need to do so we can leave this society for our children and their children and their children and their children a much better place than it is right now, as I always mentioned before, for my generation, for your generation, for the generation before and after. Too late too late, we're too stuck on our ways, as of right now, this world, this country that we live in for our generation is too ignorant, too racist, too selfish, too distrustful, too divided to uh, have the utopian society that we want to be in, so let's go ahead and do what we need to do for our children's sake by showing them that, hey, you know what, despite the differences that we might have. It's all about loving one another. It's all about respecting one another. It's all about giving the respect that is earned and deserved. So moving on, that's what we need to do. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things, as I mentioned before, to get down on. Of course, we're going to be opening with the NFL action week four. I mentioned before, I'm going to say this every week, man. Don't worry about what's going to be happening three months from now. Don't don't worry about what's going to be happening two months from now. Don't worry about what your record, what your team's favorite record is going to be in a couple of weeks or at the end of the month or anything like that, man. Let's just savor. We got this weekend coming up right here. I'm recording this on a Friday afternoon going into Friday evening after I got back from a week. Up in Mesquite, Nevada, where I actually recorded something live for a uh, Facebook. If you go to my Facebook page, Wendell's World of Sports, I actually did about <clears throat> 30 minutes up there uh, Thursday night and talked about uh, some of the things that uh, I'm going to be discussing today on the podcast. But um, yeah, um, <clears throat> let's let's just savor, man. Let's not think about week seven and week ten and week 14. It's going to be here soon enough. Let's just make sure that we engulf, make sure that we take every crumb off the table of week four in terms of enjoyment, in terms of watching the games. If you're that type of football fan like I am who just loves the Saturdays and Sundays of uh, the fall. Now we're, oh, yeah, we're in October. So yeah, we're into the fall now, man. Let's enjoy every single Saturday of college football and the games that are going to be presented. Let's enjoy every single Sunday of the games that are going to be presented. And let's just worry about week five in the NFL. <clears throat> when it comes, let's worry about what your team's going to be doing and what the record is going to be and who's going to be injured and who's going to be looking good and who's going to be starting and which coach needs to be fired and which coach is going to be coach of the year and what team looks like they're going to be Super Bowl champs. I mean, we can Plenty plenty of time to discuss that when the time comes. As of right now, still week four. I don't care if you're a fan of Jacksonville. I don't care if you're a fan of Houston. I don't care if you're a fan of Detroit. I don't care if you're a fan of Buffalo. I don't care if you're a fan of the Rams. I don't care if you're a fan of San of uh, San Francisco or Tampa Bay or whatever. Man, worry about all that bullshit when the time comes. Right now, we're only in the week four. We're at the observing period. We're still at the preseason season period. <clears throat> A lot of football left to be played, a lot of changes both good and bad are to be had by the time the season's over and as the time moves along, so let's not prognosticate four or five or six or eight weeks down the road, man. Let's just sit back and relax and enjoy at least the early stages of this season where you never know what's going to happen in terms of building, in terms of what the outlook is going to be. Let's just enjoy. Let's just enjoy and uh, savor these times because the season is going to be coming to its conclusion, both college and the NFL before you know it. Wendell's World and Sports the Podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So Week four of the NFL, the games this weekend, the early games are my Washington Snyder Skins, record currently one and two, they're going to be at Atlanta. One and two, um, Washington who got the doors blown off up uh, in Buffalo the other this past uh, Sunday. Looking to see what we can do, man. The um, defense has not been where it has been, and the decision to once again build the team from the outside in, in terms of the core, in terms of the nucleus, in terms of what makes it really go—the most important piece of this puzzle. When you're speaking about putting together a team that's going to be competing for Super Bowl, they're going to be competing for conference and division championships and division titles, normally starts with the quarterback and then we then go to the offensive line and then the defensive line and then we build out from there. Well, Washington has decided with the acquisition of uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and then he got injured On the first in the first week of the season, he's going to be out for another, I don't know, four to six weeks. And so Taylor Heineke has come in and he's been up and down, but you know, he's not the type of quarterback that's going to be getting the uh, football team from Washington. My Snyder skins, my Taylor Heineke skins, my NFC East champions in 2020 skins is not going to be getting them to the place where they want to go in terms of improving upon last year's success, albeit winning the division with an under 500 record. But the defense that was supposed to be the stalwart for this team and kind of pick up the offense for the uh, football team from Washington has, has not done that. And Josh Allen had a coming out party as far as this season is concerned and reminding folks that, yeah, Josh Allen from 2020 is still alive and well, at least for one game with the beatdown that they gave Washington. So they're going to look, speaking of my football team, they're going to be looking to rebound from that again, their second road game in a row against the Atlanta Falcons who got a victory against the New York Giants. So Washington at Atlanta. We got Houston one and two at Buffalo, mentioned before the coming out party of Josh Allen. looks looks um, at least in the game against the uh, football team from DC. He looked like the old Josh Allen. I don't know why he's not going to even build on that even more, playing at home again against uh, huge, uh, against a rebuilding team in Houston. So, look for Buffalo to continue to improve, get the momentum back after that surprising opening season loss at the uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Detroit 0 three. At Chicago 1 and 2, I guess I know what you're going to be asking, I know what you're going to be speaking about, I know what your opinion's going to be, I know what the talking point is going to be, I know what the storyline is going to be, and I'll get to that in the next segment in terms of what the hell are the Chicago Bears doing with their starting quarterback. Who's going to be the starting quarterback? Who should be the starting quarterback? What's all the conundrum? What's all the second guessing? What's all the non committal nonsense coming from Matt Nagy in terms of starting Justin Fields? Now he's not going to name a starter. Justin Fields took most of the reps in the, uh, this week in practice. Andy Dalton is still injured, so we don't know exactly what his status is going to be. Nagy has not commented on it. I'm, I'm guessing that Dalton is not going to be playing this upcoming week, but who knows? And then you've got Nick Foles in the mix, the acquisition from the Jaguars uh, this preseason. So Nagy has been uncommittal about who's going to be starting. What's going on in Chicago? Talk about that in the second segment of my podcast, the Carolina Panthers, the surprising Carolina Panthers, 3-0 at the Dallas Cowboys, 2-1-1 Dallas Clearly, if you take a look at the struggles defensively of my Washington Snyder skins, and of course, you take a look at the the ineptitude of the New York Giants who have not won a game so far in three tries, and the Philadelphia Eagles, who are still breaking in a quarterback that uh, we really don't know too much about in terms of is he going to be the long-term answer to be that franchise quarterback with Philadelphia. So almost by default, now with an improved defense and the return of Dak Prescott, that the Cowboys, as of three games into the season, are clearly the best team in the NFC East. At least they've had the best three weeks of the uh of all the teams in the nfc east so still again as i mentioned before we still got 14 more games to go but it's going to be a really good uh, barometer early on in the season how good both carolina and dallas is so that's a game that it's going to be watched that's going to be um scrutinized by all those out there but that should be a good game early games speaking about here on wendell's world of sports the podcast with yours truly wendell wallace the Indianapolis Colts, the surprising Indianapolis Colts, only in the fact that they're only three. And I thought this was going to be the deal where, you know, Frank Wright, a damn good coach, has had success his previous um, a couple of seasons with the uh, Indianapolis Colts as the head coach. <clears throat> the, we thought the upgrade at quarterback with the acquisition of Carson Wentz and continuing that strong relationship that him and Frank Wright had when Wright was the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles back in the 2017 era when Carson Wentz was considered one of the up-and-coming superstars at the quarterback position. If you remember, until he got that ACL tear against the Los Angeles Rams, he was in the running for MVP stature, and that was late in the season. But uh, I thought, we thought, you thought, a lot of people thought that with Wentz coming over to Indy, especially with something to prove, and the defense that Indy had and everything around them, that yeah, we're not speaking about Indianapolis being at the level of Kansas City before the season started, but we didn't think after three weeks they'd be zero and three. So it's going to be—I don't know if if, if if a big game. I don't know if week four, you know, constitutes big game, but to go zero and four. It would be a big disappointment for the first four games of the season for Indianapolis. Don't know if Carson Wentz going to be is going to be starting. He should, but Indianapolis going on the road to uh, face Miami, who has their issues at quarterback. I spoke about it on the last podcast in terms of um, it might be a situation now. Stephen Ross seems to be. Um, heating up toward the idea of, hey, look, man, you know, I'm putting together, trying to put together a team that's going to be competing for conference championships, Super Bowl contention, and being one of the teams mentioned when we're speaking about elite franchises in the NFL. Well, we have a pretty good defense. We have a coach, Brian Flores, who's defensive-minded. The offensive coordinating situation is an absolute mess when you have three guys co coordinating the offense which is really never a, a good thing in terms of putting the game plan together in terms of making decisions as such on the offensive end you don't really have any skill players the best player that you have in terms of the running back wide receiver combo for Miami is Jaden who is a rookie and he's not ready to carry the load? And what quarterback, or excuse me, what wide receiver really does carry the load on a football team? The quarterback position again is in flux and it's a mess and it's uh, a situation where we don't know exactly what's going to be happening. Happening. Tua is going to miss his second game. He was placed on injured reserve, so he's going to be missing another game after this. There's still some questions about Tua whether he can whether he can be a starting quarterback on a team that could win the championship. Jacoby Brissett is nothing more than a short-term solution, always uh, in the mind of the um, Miami Dolphins, that they were going to have a real opportunity to make some noise after the strong showing from last season. But right now they're sitting out, they're sitting at one and two, um, disappointing loss to Las Vegas in overtime. But it was laid bare and laid evident that the Miami Dolphins need a quarterback and they need a quarterback very badly and there's one in Houston that's sitting around that uh, the Miami Dolphins had interest in before you know the asking price was a little bit too steep now Jay Glazer of Fox is reporting that Houston is starting to soften on their request in terms of what they want in return for the acquisition of Deshaun Watson so I think again Miami especially if they fall to one and three, I'm not saying it's time to panic, but you're speaking about Miami one and three, albeit in a division where look it's Buffalo. And then after that, who do you really see that's going to be a challenge in terms of new England, who's struggling and breaking in a new quarterback where you have the New York jets, a new quarterback and Zach Wilson, and they're struggling. They're over three right now. So you, you have a division to where you can make some noise possibly, but again, one and four and if Buffalo goes to three and one. Excuse me, Miami falls to 1-3 and three, and then Buffalo improves to 3-1. and one. Yeah, it's only a two-game lead, but are you really confident if Buffalo continues that momentum and Miami is still having questions on the offensive end that they can make up those games, especially, as I mentioned before, losing at home a second time this season to a team like Indianapolis still looking for their first victory? I don't know. I don't know. So this is going to be, again, this is going to be an important game, not a, you know, not a, this is, you know, oh, my goodness gracious, we we lose this that, and the other type of game. But both of these teams need a victory moving forward in their season. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Cleveland Browns, 2-1, and one, are going to be at Minnesota, 1-2. and two. Good win by Minnesota the other week to get off the – uh, snide as we say is not winning a football game the new york giants at 0-3 at the new orleans saints 2-1 and new orleans what they going to say about Jameis winston right i mean you know what what uh Jameis are we getting and almost even more with that what type of offensive production are we going to be getting from the others from the new orleans saints if they start the situation where you're going to have to put Jameis Winston in a program or in a in a uh, game situation where he's going to be trying to throw the ball around the yard because of the team falling behind or the running game not getting it going and such like that. That's when, you know, you start getting yourself in a little bit of trouble if you're going to be asking Jameis Winston on a consistent basis week after week to go ahead and make plays. Advantageous for New Orleans to keep that run pass balance heavy toward the run and again a safe game managing type of quarterback most of the time for Jameis Winston is the best version of Jameis Winston for this New Orleans Saint team. Now against the New York Giants, again a team that's struggling. Again, a team in New York that is especially struggling from the offensive end, we're not going to be asking Jameis and the Saints for the need to pull up twenty four or twenty eight points to win this game. So despite the fact that, you know, Winston up and down up and down I still think that he's a better I think that he's a better solution at the quarterback position than Tayson Hill so three games in up and down inconsistency from Jameis Winston from game to game from quarter to quarter from possession possession we have to maybe start thinking about this is who he is moving forward and even that I would still prefer him over Taysom Hill as your starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. But New Orleans 2-1, the Giants still looking for their first victory at 0-3. The Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry got things going. They're going to be at the New York Jets 0-3. The Zach Wilson becoming the next Joe Montana in between, going down with the Patrick Mahomes type of qualities or the Patrick Mahomes type of similarities in terms of talent is concerned. Still getting their feet wet. Robert Sala, the first-time head coach in the NFL, still getting his feet wet Um, with that new position. The Jets just don't have the talent right now. Tennessee, again, should be able to rock and roll on this one. The Jets, again, coming in at 0-3. The Tennessee Titans at 2-1. And then, of course, the... Game that everyone's going to be speaking about, Kansas City. Excuse me, no, not that. Well, Kansas City or Philadelphia. No one, not too many people are going to be speaking about that. Sorry, I was looking at uh, New England and uh, Tampa. I'll get to that in just a second. But the last early game of the day on Sunday, this upcoming some Sunday, is going to be the Kansas City. Used to be champions at Philadelphia. Surprised a little bit, as I mentioned before in my last uh, podcast about Kansas City, one and two. I think that uh, it's all hogwash if you're going to be trying to build a narrative that the Kansas City football team or the fans or the coach, anyone related to the success in any small way with Kansas City should be panicking right now. Patrick Mahomes has thrown some horrendous interceptions against Baltimore and against the Chargers that were costly, to say the least. But Kansas City... While the glass half empty people are sitting there talking about, yeah, you know what? We were a couple of plays away from being 0-3 right now because we were playing in a tight game against the uh, Cleveland Browns, a game that for the first half, we were thoroughly outplayed by the Browns. Seemed to be a trend here uh, for the most part in terms of being outplayed in the first half. So the glass half empty people are speaking about that, but the glass half full people are speaking more about, hey, look, man, we're a fumble and a bad pass away from being 3-0. and you're going to try to tell me if Edward G. Lair didn't fumble that football, that we weren't going to go down and kick the game-winning field goal? Hey, and against the Chargers, I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes filled the bad ball. It happens. It happens. We lost to the Raiders at home last uh, season, and we came back and were AFC champions. So, I mean, you know, let's kind of calm down on, okay, with the fact that we're 1-2. and two. The last time I checked, the last team that won a Super Bowl and went the entire season undefeated was one so this isn't the uh, this isn't college football where we're ranking in the top four teams to make the playoffs. You no, know, a little bit different. I think that Kansas City will be fine. Patrick Mahomes is too damn good. I'm I'm, I'm guessing. I'm maybe thinking. I might be pontificating. I'm maybe looking at this from far, far, far away. That um, Kansas City is just having maybe a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover. I mean, when you've had the success that they've had, especially when you're speaking about Patrick Mahomes being the starter when his first year as a full-time starter, they made it to the AFC Championship game where they lost to New England in overtime. Then the second year, he was a starter. They won the Super Bowl. And then the third year, they won the Super Bowl again. And people were talking about not only Kansas City being the new dynasty, but Patrick Mahomes being a new person to speak about when when we're in the discussion of greatest quarterbacks of all time. After that devastating loss, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where they were not only beaten, but beaten up, that uh, maybe there's a little bit of a hangover right now. And you saw those games, and you saw some of the fumbles, you saw some of the miscues. The defense, it is what it is. The defense is going to be, at the very best, somewhat below average. But just some of the decisions that Patrick Mahomes was making, some of the carelessness that the Kansas City offense has shown over the last uh, two games— um, I'm thinking it's just kind of a situation where look, man, I we've been there, done that. Our goal is to win the Super Bowl, is not to go undefeated, is not to set records. We don't need Patrick Mahomes throwing for 600, six hundred six thousand yards and fifty-eight touchdowns and trying to win another MVP. We're not, you know, looking to uh, break any records or something like that. Just get us healthy, just get us ready, and just get us peaking in oh, I don't know, another fourteen weeks, fifteen weeks, and we'll be fine. And I Concur with them when you speak about, yeah the offensive line needs some work, yeah, the offense could use another receiver, Josh Gordon was reinstated by the n f l and he quickly signed with the uh Kansas City football team. <clears throat> we'll see how that goes, not looking for anything for the first you know week four, five, six, or seven, but by the time it's you know start making some chicken type of money type of uh situations in later on in the n f l season, let's see how well Josh Gordon can A, keep himself out of trouble and B, work himself into football playing shape and then C, translate that to success and making a positive impact for the Kansas City offense. If anybody can help out someone like Josh Gordon in terms of getting his feet wet and getting him up to speed and getting him to uh, look good as a wide receiver, it's the best quarterback still in the league, Patrick Mahomes. So Kansas City, looks like I'm going to be guessing that after the last uh, two losses that they are going to put a beatdown on Philadelphia and after the performance that the Eagles had against the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night another poor or below below average performance by Jalen Hurts what's going to be the reaction of the Philadelphia fan base I think mentally that Hurts is strong enough to deal with any type of scrutiny to deal with any type of criticism he's the antithesis of what Ben Simmons is as far as being able to handle the negativity or handle some of the stuff that goes down being a Philadelphia athlete being a high-profile Philadelphia athlete I think mentally Jalen Hurts cannot deal with that but uh Another loss brings Philadelphia to 1-3, and again, the expectations, especially with a new coach, was not Philadelphia vying for the NFC East Division or being one of the teams that would be favored to win the divisional championship or the conference championship and then move on. But, you know, after four games, we would like to see some type of uh, improvement in Jalen Hurts I thought week one he had a very good week of course that was against the Atlanta Falcons whose defense is horrendous and then the last couple of games against the 49ers and the Cowboys he's been it's been it's been tough for him it's been rough for him but another poor game do we start hearing from the Philadelphia fan base do we start hearing some of the talk on WIP uh, radio do we Start hearing from the bloggers, the local bloggers and writers in Philadelphia. The discussion that possibly maybe the Eagles should inquire about obtaining the services of Deshaun Watson. Hypothetically, what would then have to uh, what what deal would have to go down for that to happen? If the Eagles decided that they were looking to investigate a situation like that. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Spoke about the early games of the NFL. Now moving over to the late games. Juicy, juicy, rather tasty. The Arizona Cardinals undefeated at 3-0. At the Los Angeles Rams 3-0. The Rams... I don't know how much they're basking in the glow of defeating the Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers the other week. I don't know if there's going to be some type of letdown. I don't know if there's going to be some type of exhale. I think because they're playing the Cardinals, who are 3-0, I think that this is going to be a situation that the Rams will have the attention to uh, go ahead and do what they need to do. The Cardinals, 3-0, and yes. Sort of kind of like uh, Carolina, though. Sort of like, that's fine. They're 3-0, and but still we're in a wait-and-see mode. The defense has taken a step back a little bit after the devastating performance they had in Week 1 against the Tennessee Titans. Kyler Murray doing so many things. Improvising for the offense. It'll be interesting to see, A, how well the Cardinals can keep him upright and healthy as the season progresses, but also, you know, with... Murray, how many run options and how many times is he going to be hit in this game when you're going to be speaking about the Rams with that monster, that beast known as Aaron Donald, wreaking havoc, seeking havoc, looking to do some damage to the quarterback, and to the offense of the Arizona Cardinals. Now for week three, everybody's speaking about what the power rankings. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of the uh, analysis folks and a lot of the talking head folks and a lot of the folks who write this stuff and do this for a living, as far as the power rankings are concerned, are putting the Los Angeles Rams number one with the power rankings. All right. Okay. We'll see what happens with Arizona and a litmus test for Arizona to see exactly how good they are so far early on in this season. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Also forgot to mention that Matthew Stafford, um, the acquisition that the Rams made by getting him, seemed to be paying off so far three games into the season. The Seattle Seahawks 2-1 at the San Francisco 49ers 2-1, San Francisco Coming off a heartbreaking loss against the Green Bay Packers at home on Sunday night football, thirty to twenty-eight. Some encouraging signs, though. I think Garoppolo played his best game of the season, albeit it's only three games. So, I mean, you know, let's 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 kind of uh put the pause on reserving his bust for Canton. But uh I think in a situation the way Garoppolo played really doesn't engender the thought of putting in trey lance i think that garoppolo played well enough and did some things throwing the ball down the field now is he going to revert back to you know you know game managing quick passes to the outlet receiver or running back garoppolo if that's the case that was the first couple of weeks of the season that's why people were like well if he's gonna do this why can't you put in trey lance especially with the threat of uh, Lance running the football, something that Garoppolo does not have. So if you're going to, uh, you know, look for Kyle Shanahan for a change, it would be to diversify the offense and uh, give it a little bit more juice and a little bit more unpredictability. You can do that because of the athleticism of Trey Lance. And like I said, the threat of him to run, even if you're not going to run him that many times. But if Garoppolo is going to play like he did against the uh, – gets the uh, Green Bay Packers then I don't really see any need for Shanahan of those guys to uh put in Trey Lance unless it's like, unless it's a special situation like it was at the end of the first half when Lance scored on a left side run to uh, uh score at the uh halftime buzzer for the 49ers. So the Seahawks the 49ers looking forward to that game also, of course, we're moving down the Baltimore Ravens. Very lucky, very lucky Baltimore Ravens won the game against Detroit on the road with Justin Tur- uh, Tucker kicking a 66-yard field goal to uh, win the game. Looking for a little bit more consistency. Now Rashad Bateman is going to be back in the lineup for Baltimore. He's been injured the first couple of weeks. I, I, I don't know how much that's going to single a, s- signal a uh, explosion of passing yardage for the Baltimore Ravens. But, uh, you know, a couple of drop passes that could have been big plays and a short touchdown. The Ravens need to kind of tighten up on that situation. Jim Harbaugh uh, and the offensive coordinator and the offensive side knows that. But, uh, yeah, Baltimore got lucky. But as I mentioned before in my last podcast, when Lamar Jackson had to make plays in the fourth quarter, he did. He was contained for most of the game. Only rushing for fifty eight yards, seven carries, the longest run being thirty one yards, so you think about it. Uh six carries, he only gained twenty seven yards. So it wasn't a typical Lamar Jackson type of game, especially if you're thinking about Detroit, how at least from a passing standpoint that with that weak secondary that Detroit has that he would be able to uh do some positive things again. Drop passes. It just seemed to be a little off. There's just seemed to be some uncomfortability with Jackson throughout that game. The offensive line wasn't protecting him like the way they should. But again, he got the job down. He got the job done when he needed it. Completed a long fourth down uh, conversion to get them into the position for Tucker to. Kicked that 66 yard field goal so sometimes it's better be better to be lucky than good so baltimore at denver one of the surprise teams teddy bridgewater all he does is win football games how good is he i don't know in terms of just speaking about denver being a true contender uh not just in the uh, afc division west division but you know in the afc conference period but uh you know, Bridgewater is not going to do anything crazy. He's not going to do anything stupid. He's not going to be careless with the football. And with the defense that Denver has, he's not going to put them in any disadvantaged situations for Denver to lose a game because of poor quarterback decision-making. Now, Teddy Bridgewater is not going to win you too many games by throwing the ball 45, 50 times and bringing the team back from the jaws of defeat, but if you can keep the game close, Vangio's uh, defense can go ahead and give the offense opportunities for short fields, kicking field goals, winning the game ugly, winning the game that way. Jerry Judy being out for the Broncos is going to hurt on the offensive side, but then again, they have a quarterback who doesn't make any mistakes or hardly makes any mistakes, uh, uh, hardly puts his defense in bad situations and Denver's defense is good enough to win football games. Not saying that they're the San Francisco 49ers defense of two years ago, but they're form- formidable enough to uh, take the Broncos seriously if you're thinking about the possibility of them being playoff contenders. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us speaking about the week four games in the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 2-1, are going to be traveling to Lambeau Field to play the Green Bay Packers, 2-1. Aaron Rodgers has the passion, Aaron Rodgers has the fire, Aaron Rodgers uh, seems to be all in for the last dance of his career with the Green Bay Packers. Played a pretty good game on Sunday night against the 49ers, led the team for the opportunity For the game-winning field goal, the Pittsburgh Steelers, on the other hand, their offense is still in flux. They have a quarterback situation with Ben Roethlisberger to where exactly how is this going to get any better. The defense with the return of T.J. Watt, nice. But if you're going to have an offense as impotent as the Steelers, how are you going to get points on the board unless you're going to be giving the offense short fields on a consistent basis, maybe score off of a... um, Turnover and maybe score off a special teams play. Other than that, how how many points are you expecting this Pittsburgh Steelers team to give you on Sunday? You think you're going to be able to put, you think the offense is going to be able to put two touchdowns, three touchdowns on the board? Have you seen Ben Roethlisberger move? Najee Harris looks like he's going to be a hell of a running back, but right now the offensive line is new, new pieces, new uh, folks being employed by the Steelers organization to block for the quarterback, open holes for the running back. So they're still in flux, and they're still trying to get to know each other and be a consistent unit on the uh, field. So I don't know exactly what the Steelers are going to be doing. It was a great victory the opening uh, week of the season at Buffalo, but damn, what was that? A situation where, what, they scored off of a block punt? gave the offense a couple of nice chances to win, they're going to have to be doing that on a consistent basis. And while the Steelers do have a really good defense, if this offense for Pittsburgh is going to be this bad, then how are we going to be expecting the Steelers to do anything, especially when you have the rise of the Cleveland Browns and the maintained consistency of high level of play as far as winning is concerned? with the Baltimore Ravens so there you go Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us so the game of the century Coming up, the New England Patriots at the, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New England Patriots. Tom Brady's coming home. Tom Brady's coming home. Game of the century. Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. Both guys want to kill each other. The narrative is Tom Brady is just, he's looking forward to this game. It's the revenge game. He's going to try to show everybody that it was a mistake for the Patriots to let him go. And Bill Belichick is going to say, oh yeah, well this is the reason why we let you go. And now the narrative is going going to be yes Bill Belichick was the reason why the Patriots won all those Super Bowls no 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 no, no. it was Tom Brady the reason why the Patriots won all these Super Bowls and this is going to decide who was really more responsible for the dynasty of the New England Patriots week four of the NFL season is already supposed to be the game of the century the game of the week the game of the of NFL history all of these things I will tell you why when we come back I could give two shits about this game, this game in terms of its overall importance to the season and why it's like, yeah, I'll watch the game on Sunday night without question. But when will I turn it on? Let me know when the opening kickoff and that ball is in the air. That's when I'll turn it on and that's when I'll start carrying. All of this other rigmarole, all of these other storylines, all of this other bullshit, concerning the return of Tom Brady to face off against his old team in the New England Patriots is bullshit in my eyes, and I will explain to you why I have those feelings. <music> Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I have to uh, move and groove through this because I'm recording this, I want to uh, make sure that I have enough time to uh, watch just a little bit of SmackDown to see exactly who's going to be drafted where. Tonight is the draft, see what's going to be happening with Bianca Belair, she's going to be... Uh, Smackdown or if she's going to Raw Drew McIntyre if he's going to be drafted To Smackdown or if he's going to be going to Raw I would like to see Bobby Lashley Go to Smackdown become a face And have a program with Roman Reigns that would be pretty interesting I would also like to see Drew McIntyre Go over there I would like to see The Street Profits go over to Raw what I really would like to see Is I'd like to see Montez Ford Go over to AEW I think that he would be He would be fucking Outstanding uh, the style of wrestling that they have over there. I think Montez Ford, a young guy, a lot of charisma, a really good worker, um, good talker. I think that uh, he would be great. He just doesn't have the size, I think, for WWE to really fully invest in him. If you take a look at Big E and you take a look at Lashley, you take a look at McIntyre, and you take a look at Roman Reigns, all of these guys who are uh, who are big behemoths for the most part, being champions. I don't think Montez Ford... Montez Ford could maybe win a secondary title, but I, I would love to see a program... Speaking about dream programs, I know it's not a dream because Montez really hasn't been in the business long enough to be compared with my favorite wrestler right now, Kenny Omega and Danielson as such, but a program or a wrestling match between Montez Ford and brian danielson or montez ford and handman page or montez ford and kenny omega or montez ford and sammy gravana uh, aew style that would be absolutely freaking tremendous people are talking about kevin steen aka kevin owens going over to um, aew which would be a big acquisition i would i would love to see uh, Montez Ford go over there and have Dustin Rhodes and Dusty Rhodes and, and uh, the calm uh, guy work with uh, him and really turn him into something. Because I think this guy has uh, a lot of talent. Him and Darby Allen, I think, would tear the roof off the joint. So that's just my quick little wrestling take before we get back into the NFL, before we get back into speaking about What's happening with the uh, game of the week, right? The game of the century, right? The game of all time, right? The game that we should just be caring about, right? The game that's going to be getting, what, Super Bowl type of ratings? The return of the Brady. Return of the Brady. Return of the Brady. Tom Brady going back to Foxborough. Facing off against his old team. Current game of the year. The century. The... In NFL history and all of sports, all of this type of stuff, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, the relationship lasted 20 years, the longest and most successful player-coach tandem in pro sports history. Think about it, man. If you think about the longevity and you think about the success rate, when you're speaking about a regular season record with Tom Brady as the quarterback, Bill Belichick at the HUD coach, the regular season record in New England over those 1920 years was 221 and 67 they played in nine super bowls won a league record six they had 19 consecutive winning seasons 17 division division titles including 11 consecutive from 2009 to 2019 13 AFC championship game appearances including eight consecutive between 2011 and 2019 and the patriots appeared in half of all super bowls played during Brady and Belichick's 18 years as the primary starter and won two-thirds of those games that they played in. Nobody, 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 nobody is ever going to come close. When you speak about the longevity of success between player and coach, that relationship, nobody in sports will ever approach that, man. We th- That's going to be right there as far as the Mount Rushmore of all-time great unbreakable records. You know how we speak about... You know who's going to get who's going to get the record of most wins by a pitcher in major league baseball. Hell, who's going to get the most who's going to hold the record for most losses for um starting pitchers or pitchers in major league baseball. Cy Young went 511 and 313. We know the way the game is played now, we know that that is never ever ever going to become close. Nowadays the way pitchers pitch and the way they're used, man, if a pitcher can win 200, 215, 220 games now is the new 300 in terms of if you reach that level, you're going to be getting into the Hall of Fame. We know that stuff is going to be happening. All of those things, all of those records, Ricky Henderson, stolen base record, nobody, the way the game is played now in baseball, nobody is going to be approaching that nonsense. Who's going to get to Evan Smith's record for most rushing yards in a career? The way the, the way the game is played right now, nobody, even with 17 games, even with the extra games, nobody is going to come close to that record. When you speak about the longevity, look, man, I'm 52 years old. I can live another 52 years and then another 52 years and then another 52 years and then another... 52 years. There's nobody, there's going to be no coach quarterback tandem that's going to be staying around that long and have that sustained success for that many years. It's never going to happen. So it's unbelievable. It's something where it's just, you know, I mean, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak had a better chance of ending than someone coming close to what Brady and Belichick did. Just the... Long-term success is never going to happen. If you take a look at the other great and successful player coach relationships, those were used to, you might say, could stand the test of time, and it was remarkable. I don't know, man. If you take a look, what has a better chance of being toppled? Don Shula, all-time winning record as far as the NFL coach is concerned, or someone doing what uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick did for almost two decades together as coach and starting quarterback? Otto Graham and Paul Brown back in the 40s and 50s they won four straight AACFs aAFC titles back back in the day where the NFL had a had another league that they had to contend with well the Browns won four straight titles in that league and compiled an awesome 40 uh, 52 and 4 three record before joining the NFL and winning championship therapy before Graham and Brown won 10. Titles together. All right, that's cool. They played in 10 straight title games, four in the AAFC, and three in the NFL champion, in the uh, NFL League. Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich. The modern day, shall we say, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Almost two decades straight of winning at least 50 games, five championships. Okay, Bill Russell and Red Auerbach, back in the 60s, won nine championships in 10 seasons together, including eight in a row. And their combined regular season record, of 554 and 216 winning percentage of 72 percent that's never going to be match that's not going to be as far as the longevity is concerned what coach and player out there right now is going to be having that success nobody chuck knoll and terry bradshaw the team of the 70s when we're speaking about the uh, pittsburgh steelers four super bowl championships the most successful team in the 1970s won six division titles in a row including in uh, nine overall that was supposed to be unbelievable, but that pales in comparison to what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick put down. In basketball, Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson won six championships in seven seasons, and Jackson and Jordan together uh, won, what, 77% of their games when Jordan was a full-time basketball player when he wasn't running around uh, trying to play baseball. Derek Jeter and Joe Torre, 12 years together, won four World Series and six appearances, 10 uh, American League Division titles, including nine in a row. All of these all of these tandems of player-coach in these different leagues, and you could talk about Glenn Sather and Wayne Gretzky in hockey and stuff, and I don't know who the coaches were for Rocket Richard and back in the uh, Montreal Canadiens' dominance in hockey back in the day, but you can speak about all of those unbelievable tandems and all of the records and all of the great victories and all of the sustained excellence that they had. Nothing nothing pales in comparison. Number one, what quarterback is going to be playing 20 years? Number two, what coach is going to be coaching the same team for 20 years and continue to have that type of success? Shit. If a coach nowadays gets to 12, 13 years, that's remarkable. I mean, I think John Harbaugh for Baltimore is approaching that, um, that Monica or approaching that um, number of years in terms where we're, Getting into I don't know double I don't know how long Harbaugh has been the coach of the Ravens, but off the top of my head, outside of Belichick, I can't think of another coach who's been with one organization over ten years. If you really think about it, and you know, in you know, the NBA and Major League Baseball and stuff, you know, that's not the with the exception of Greg Popovich, of course. Maybe um, you know Mark Cuban is pretty loyal to his uh, coaches, but Rick Carlisle finally had enough, and he left. Um, he left Dallas and is now the coach in Indiana. And Doc Rivers has bounced around another elite coach. I can't think of any other young coaches where I'm going to be sitting there talking about, yeah, he's going to be Popovich-esque and his longevity with one team. These things do not happen. And we're living in a time where those things did happen. And I think that we need to just step back and reflect a little bit on how flippin' amazing that was that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were together that long. But like anything... If you live long enough with somebody, whether it be 10 minutes, 10 decades, of course, a marriage that lasts 100 years, that would really be something. But what I'm saying is sooner or later, the, the, the marriage, the professional marriage is going to end. And the success of Belichick and the success of Brady was the foundation of, look the fact that they stayed 20 years together or 19 years together was even more remarkable. It took two unbelievable people, two unique individuals, to even stay that long together. Because if you take a look at these other relationships, with the exception being Chuck Knoll and Terry Bradshaw, there was a type of warmness. There was a type of I don't know if you want to say friend, father, son, mentor, relationship, or something like that, but one of the things that made the Popovich-Tim Duncan relationship work so well is the fact that those guys really were fond and admired each other. They loved each other, not just because of what they did for each other as far as being a basketball player and being a basketball coach. They just loved each other as people. They admired each other as human beings. Tim Duncan admired Greg Popovich, not because he was a great coach, because he was a hell of a human being, which, by the way, I think he is. Greg Popovich loved Tim Duncan like a son, not because he gave him, you know, so many awards and so many victories and so many accolades and so much money and the ability to be in the argument as being one of the greatest coaches in NBA history and such and on and on and on. Greg Popovich, that, that's part of the appreciation that he had for Tim Duncan, but it's also because he admires Tim Duncan for being the man that he is, so there's a personal bond that those two had, they developed quickly, which allowed them to stay in the relationship as long as they did, and by the way, they're still, as I mentioned before, the the, the friendship, the bond, the father, son, brotherhood, whatever you want to say, the love that they have for each other still continues to this day, even though Tim Duncan is not contributing to Greg Popovich winning games on the basketball court. You know, with the Belichick-Brady situation, I I think those guys highly respect each other. Highly respect each other. And I think that there's great admiration between those two guys. But I think the way both personalities were set up And I think the way that Belichick coached Brady, it was remarkable. And it says a lot about Tom Brady as well as Bill Belichick, that they were able to sustain that amount of success. And it took 20 years before both of them finally said, I've had enough time for me to go on. And really it was broken up by Tom Brady, just wanting to uh, do something else. It was nothing to deal. I I don't, I wasn't there. I don't have any discussions with Tom Brady. I was not sitting down at the Tom Brady dinner table with his kids and Giselle talking about why he wants to leave. He didn't give me the exclusive. He didn't open up to me and t- and tell me why. But from the outside looking in and from what I can see about the relationship, it's just a matter of, look, man, you know, I'm 40 something years old. I'm not the Tom Brady of 22 or 24 or 28 or 32. I mean, there's some things I want to do in my life right now. And uh, the way this team and this organization and the way your coaching style is structured and the way that the team is going, it's time for me to do something else. It's time for me to go on and do something else. We can still be friends, so we can go ahead when I'm inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'll be there for you, just like you'll be there for me. And when we meet at these, you know, greatest of all time, uh, you know, award ceremonies, and you know, during Super Bowl, whatever, if we're still living, and they talk about, you know, the 80th year anniversary or the, you know, Mastercard 100 greatest players who's ever played and this that, and the other before the Super Bowl and. You know, they have us out there. I mean, we'll go ahead and we'll shake and we'll smile and we'll take pictures and we'll reminisce and do all those things. And then after the award is over and then after the ceremonies are over and then after the dog and pony show is over, you go to Mac, you go back to uh, Mantucket and get back on your boat and relax and I'll go to what I'm doing and do whatever I need to do. And uh, we won't text. We won't call each other. We won't Facebook friends. We won't be on TikTok. You won't be my Instagram buddy. We won't do any of those things. But uh, hey, no animosity, no ill will. I'm not going to write a book slamming you. I'm not going to call you a fucking asshole like Robert Kraft did. I mean, it'll all be good. It'll all be good. But, you know, it's the way it is. So because of those things, I, it, it's, it's funny to me. It's amazing to me. But I guess you could say a little bit interesting, but not really surprising. Then all of a sudden now we have to come up with all of these stories. We have to come up now because it's. New England Patriots versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady's returning to Foxborough to play against Bill Belichick. As I mentioned before, he's not playing against Bill Belichick. Last time I checked, Bill Belichick is not uh, getting into the game as a defensive end or a linebacker, or a safety, or a, a cornerback. I, 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 I don't think that's the case. So when people say, Tom Brady it's going to be going up against Bill Belichick, no, no. And also, the last time I thought, last time I checked, now I don't know too much about football, but last time I checked, when I saw a football game, albeit high school, college, or professional, I think there's 10 other players on offense that go on the field for uh for Tampa Bay or for whatever team is playing. And then on the defensive side of the ball, on the opposing team, they also come out on the field with 11 players. So it's like 11 players on offense versus 11 players on defense. So when they say Tom Brady is going to be going up against the New England Patriots, it's not like the Patriots defense is going to run onto the field and then go, running onto the field for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to be Tom Brady and Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones and uh, Gronkowski and the rest of those guys. Those guys are just going to be sitting on the sideline chilling. (laughs) Good luck, Tom. Do your thing, buddy. The greatest of all time, the GOAT. Time to prove it. I mean, it it ain't going to be one of those things. So this bullshit, this nonsense, this narrative, this nonsense about it's Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. It's nonsense, it's bullshit, and it's not true. Because if the offensive line doesn't protect Tom Brady, guess what? Tom Brady's going to stink out loud. But if the offensive line gives Tom Brady 10 seconds to throw the football, arbitrary number, if the Tampa Bay offensive line gives Tom Brady plenty of time to throw the football, and Gronkowski can beat his man, and Chris Godwin can beat his man, and the running backs can get the game flowing, and they can have the same amount of balance that they showed when they were winning football games. Well, then guess what? It's going to be a situation where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they are a better team than the New England Patriots. Don't give a shit. Don't give a fuck about Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. No, it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are a better team currently than the New England Patriots. So this situation where we're going to finally to settle, we're finally going to settle who was more responsible for the dynasty of the New England Patriots, was it Tom Brady or was it Bill Belichick? Based off of this game, really, where do you how where how does that where where is that argument made? How was that argument put together? What? Huh? What are you talking about? So let me ask you something. The Tom Brady would have gone to say, "Oh, I don't know" after the um season was over after he left um, New England. Let's say he went to a team where, oops, I made a mistake. We're really not that good. And I really don't have the talent that I need to win football games. And let's say that uh, Mac Jones has the game of his life. And New England, or uh, Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay, and um, Tampa Bay is ravaged by injuries. And they're playing backups. And you know they're they're still doing this and still learning to try to get together and do all these type of things. And the line gives Tom Brady no chance to throw the football, and he's being harassed all game. And the running game isn't going. And Byron Leftwich is having a terrible play calling game. And Mac Jones comes out and plays the game of his life, and he's awesome. And the New England Patriots upset the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What does that prove? Ah, see, I told you. I told you Belichick was the reason. Tip of um, uh, New England won all those Super Bowls and not Tom Brady. What? Are, what in the fuck are we talking about? What are we? What's the argument here? Why are we speaking about this? Why are we running such bullshit narratives like this? It makes no flipping sense to me. Hey, look, man. It's it's very easy, very very easy. Tom Brady would not be Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick wouldn't be Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. Both of those guys needed each other. None of those guys are winning Super Bowls without each other. Tom Brady is not going down as one of the greatest football players who's ever played and arguably the greatest quarterback who's ever played the position without Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is not going down as one of the greatest coaches of all time and winning six Super Bowl rings without Tom Brady. Very easy. Very simple. Very, very simple. But guess what? You know what else? You know who else is responsible for this nonsense in terms of My goodness, Tom Brady winning six Super Bowls, and we're going to find out who was more responsible in terms of uh, winning Super Bowls, and who was more successful, and who was more responsible for the success of the New England Patriots. You know who else made Tom Brady Tom Brady? Um, Adam Vinatieri, Lawyer Malloy, Ty Law, Charlie Weiss, Troy Brown, Mike Vrabel, Damian Woody, Richard Seymour, Bill O'Brien, Willie McGinnis, Romeo Cornell, Dion Branch, Kevin Falk, Asante Samuel, Randy Moss, Corey Dillon, Teddy Bruschi, Vince Wolferk, Wes Welker, Logan Mankins, Rob Gronkowski, Malcolm Butler, Josh McDaniel. All of those guys. Guess what? The, all, the, the quarterback coach, the, um, uh, The equipment manager, the team physicians, the PR guy who kept all that bullshit away from Tom Brady so he could get the media and all this other nonsense away from Tom Brady so he could go ahead and have peace of mind and study and develop himself and being the best quarterback he could. All of those guys played a fucking role in him being the greatest quarterback of all time. Not just Bill Belichick. And those same players that I just mentioned, they were responsible, just as responsible as Tom Brady for making Bill Belichick. Considered one of the greatest head coaches of all time. Can we stop with this bullshit, ignorant, short-sighted, low-hanging fruit narrative about who was more responsible for the New England Patriots dynasty? Stop it. Stop it. You know, put it right up there with the most annoying, ridiculous arguments like who's a better basketball player, LeBron or MJ? Stop, just stop, just stop. Let's just, you know, think about how great both those guys were. Now, when I n- mentioned all those names, you can sit there and say, "Come on, man! You're going to try to tell me that Adam Vinatieri was just as important for Tom Brady being Tom Brady than Tom Brady, or the New England Patriots dynasty wouldn't have happened without Lawyer Malloy or Adam Vinatieri or Dion Branch or Wes Welker." Come on, Wendell! What the fuck are you? What the fuck are you sniffing up your nose? Let me, what I'm trying to say is that it takes a total team effort. And as I mentioned before, do you really think Tom Brady would have been Tom Brady back in 2000 or whenever he was drafted? If he was drafted by the Washington Snyder skins, do you really think Tom Brady would have turned into Tom Brady who we know and love and adore and revere today? Do you really think if Tom Brady was drafted by Tampa, the New York Jets, the Cleveland Browns, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Chicago Bears, the Bill Bidwell-led Arizona Cardinals, the Al Davis, senile at the end of his rope, Oakland Raiders, the Detroit Lions... Who are just have who have just decades of dysfunction. If you really think that Tom Brady would have been the same guy who would have won championships and set records and go down as one of the greatest of all time, if you think that he would have done that being drafted by those sad sack organizations like the Jets, like Washington, like Detroit, like Cleveland, like Mike Brown, Cincinnati, like Chicago, who hasn't had a decent quarterback since what, Sid Luckman, you know, Arizona, as I mentioned before, bid Bill Bill Bidwell. If you think that Tom Brady would have turned into Tom Brady being drafted by those teams, I don't give a damn what round he was drafted in. I don't give a damn what opportunities he was given. It would not have happened. Tom Brady would have been an afterthought in NFL annals, in the NFL history, in terms of greatest quarterbacks of all time. Tom Brady's name wouldn't have been sniffed. Tom Brady's name would have been mentioned. We would not even know who Tom Brady is today. Garen flipping T it if he was drafted by one of those organizations. Because the Jets, the Lions, the Browns, the Bengals, the Bears, the Cardinals, the football team from Washington, my, my Schneider skins, we have done great work in screwing up quarterbacks, whether it was the first round, sixth round, no round, bad round, whatever. So please, just just stop. Just stop with that. Just stop with that. Tom Brady is not Tom Brady without Bill Belichick in a New England organization. Bill Belichick is not Bill Belichick without Tom Brady in a New England organization. Bill Belichick was near the end of his rope as a head coach. Bill Belichick was about to go down as awesome coordinator, not really a good coach because he flamed out in Cleveland, got a second opportunity with the the, uh, New England Patriots after he turned down the opportunity to coach the New York Jets. So you could easily say that, yeah, Tom Brady rescued, saved Bill Belichick's career, but you could also say the same thing about Bill Belichick. He saved Tom Brady from complete obscurity and maybe even a shot at being any type of quarterback at all. Getting, he might have been the person responsible for forget forgetting the fact that you know Tom Brady might not have even gotten to the four year mark for for him to even get a pension from the NFL if he was drafted by some of these teams. So. Please can we just stop with the nonsense of who was more responsible for the success of the New England Patriots? And this also, this bullshit about oh my goodness gracious, you know Tom Brady is going to um, go ahead and put more emphasis in this game than any other games. I mean, do you guys are you guys just saying that just uh, just just a laugh and joke to give you guys something to talk about? I mean, does anybody who know any who knows anything about the NFL do we really think? Yeah, it might be motivating for Tom Brady to say. It might be exciting. might be something different. You know, he might be excited about, man, I'm going back and I'm going to be playing against my old team. And, you know, I'm quite sure I'm going to go in there and I'm going to say what's up to the security guys and the ushers and other folks, you know, who work for the uh, stadium and, you know, those type of small people who we really don't pay too much attention to. And some of my teammates are still there who I want to give a dap and say what's up to and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about coming back and doing those things, but this this is not going to motivate me anymore to prepare for a football game. I mean, this is not something where, yeah, you know, against the Rams last week, I was preparing, but I really wasn't preparing as much as I am going to be for New England. Or, yeah, that game against the Rams, yeah, I was up, and I was pumped, and I was ready to go, but nothing like what's going to be happening with the New England Patriots. Can we please stop with that? Can we please stop? You know, the which, you know, relationship and this, that, that, the other. They Chuck Knoll and Terry Bradshaw didn't have a good relationship. In fact, when Chuck Knoll died, Terry Bradshaw didn't even go to a funeral. On purpose. <laughs> a th- uh, 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 decision that, to this day, he still doesn't regret. There's been precedent of legendary Hall of Fame quarterbacks and coaches not always getting along and building long-lasting friendships and meaningful relationships. Roger Staubach had his issues with Tom Landry. So, I mean, can we can we please stop with this? That these guys have to be chummy-chum-chums? And since uh, these guys left, that there has to be some type of hatred between these two? That somehow, someway, Bill Belichick beating Tom Brady is going to like, eh, eh, eh. Yeah, fuck you, Tom, you son of a bitch motherfucker. You never should have left my ass. I mean, come on, man. And like, Tom Brady's going to run off the field. Yeah, fuck you, Bill. Yeah! That's what I'm fucking talking about. Let me go, you piece of shit motherfucker. I'm the fucking man. I'm your fucking daddy. And don't you ever forget it. I mean, come on, man. Stop. Stop with that nonsense. That relationship lasted 20 years. Name me a relationship that lasts that long that doesn't have some type of dysfunction, disagreements, dissension at some point in time. I don't give a damn what you're talking about. Athletics, marriage parenting, office, workplace, employees, military, name me a place where you can have a relationship for that long and for the most part, most of the time, just be nothing but smooth sailing and lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey all the time and this is awesome and this is fantastic. Again, name me a relationship in any sport that lasted that long. Concerning anything, sometimes you might have a loyal assistant to a head coach who, when he bounces from job to job, he'll go with them and, if the coach is in the profession for over 20 years or 25 years and such, that that assistant will stay with them that long. Mike Bootenholzer, the now world champion head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, he stayed with Greg Popovich for, you know, almost a decade and a half until he got the position, until he got the opportunity first to coach the Atlanta Hawks then the Milwaukee Bucks. So, I mean, you think about anything. I mean, name somebody in your office space with a employee boss relationship that stayed together that long and if they have stayed together that long, you tell me if there at one time wasn't some type of dissension, wasn't some type of disagreement, wasn't some type of situation where you're like, hey man, I don't know if I can go ahead and continue this relationship. How many times I'm not married, but you know, ask yourself, how many times if for those who have been married over twenty years, how many times have you had a situation where look, you and your wife were sitting there and, you know, for a moment you guys were like, I, I don't know if we can go on with this. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I really, really want to continue this. Cooler heads prevail and you realize how much you guys love each other and how much it works. And so you turn things around. But, I mean, how many times in a long-term relationship with your wife or your common-law wife or whatever, where you've had discussions about, you know, maybe this is something what uh, we, we should maybe go our separate ways. Or, you know, I'm I'm mad at you and I'm not talking to you and... It could last an hour. It could last a day. it Can that last a week? I mean, some couples need to be apart for just a tad to kind of clear themselves and think about what's going on in the relationship and see if they want to work. My point is is that, you know, we we speak about dysfunction and disagreements in this Belichick Brady relationship like it's like something that's like never happens. Okay, so there were some times where Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be the was going to be the uh, quarterback. He wanted to uh, move Brady. He didn't. There was situations where, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, Kraft thought that Bill Belichick was a fucking idiot. He didn't fire him. There were many times where Tom Brady, I'm quite sure, was like, you know what? This is it, man. That motherfucker's getting on my nerves. Bill Belichick can go kiss my ass. And when my contract is ending, I'm out of here. He might have said that after year eight. He might have said that after year fourteen. Might have said that after year sixteen. He came back and signed with the New England Patriots, if he was upset about him not having any input in terms of the cap-friendly or the, the contract-friendly deal that he got and didn't have a say in where that extra money was going to be going and where it was going to be placed and what emphasis it was going to be put on, and if he was upset about the type of money he was making and if he was upset about how he was treated by Belichick and he wasn't getting some of the perks that a Peyton Manning or his other contemporaries were getting, he could have gone somewhere else. When the contract ended, he could have demanded a trade or he could have gone somewhere else. He decided to come back and stay. So it couldn't have been that horrible. Tom Brady valued winning over everything else. And despite all the things he might not have liked about Bill Belichick and stuff, he knew as far as what he wanted to accomplish, which was winning championships, Bill Belichick and the New England organization gave him the best opportunity. So I, I don't know how dysfunctional the... Relationship was on a consistent basis with all the success that they had. In you know every relationship ends. One thing about the NFL, if you play long enough, no matter who you are, eventually the team that drafted you that you want to stay your entire career with, they will eventually let you go. It will be a time to move on. The Colts didn't keep Johnny Johnny Unitas around forever. The Dallas Cowboys didn't keep Emmitt Smith around forever. The Los Angeles Rams didn't keep Deacon Jones around forever. Jerry Rice and the San Francisco 49ers, their relationship didn't last forever. The Philadelphia Eagles and Reggie White, their relationship didn't last forever. The Buffalo Bills and Bruce Smith decided to part ways before Bruce Smith wanted to. Brett Favre, Eric Dickerson, Deion Sanders, Peyton Manning, Joe Montana. If you, no matter how great you are, sooner or later, your usage for the football team or just sports in general it's going to be time for you to move on, and it's going to be time for the team to move on. And there shouldn't be, there's nothing to deal with animosity or acrimony or, you know, one guy's a son of a bitch, or let's kind of take a look and see where the dysfunction started, where these guys decided they wanted to part. ways. Well, sometimes it's just the right thing to do, man. The Pittsburgh Steelers are coming into that reality maybe sooner rather than later than this upcoming offseason with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, how, how far do we go here? How much do we do here? So, you know I I I've always laughed about that. Since Brady left, he's won a Super Bowl while Belichick has gone eight and eleven. Okay, they're in different I mean they're in different chapters in their careers. I mean, Brady went to a tailor made team that uh, you know, got him a Super Bowl ring and Belichick is rebuilding. I mean what, what what the hell? I mean, do you really think if Brady would have state that New England would have won a championship last year, that he would have won a Super Bowl? You know, without Brady under center, Bilicek is 63-75 and over his career. Okay, that's fine. He did win six rings. And for the most part, you could kind of contribute two or three of those to the fact that he had an awesome defense. As much as Tom Brady, that final drive for the game-winning field goal in the first Super Bowl against the Rams, the first Super Bowl that the uh, Patriots won. Yeah, Brady was the man on that drive, but they didn't win that game because of Tom Brady. They won that game because the defense did a number on the greatest show on turf. Bill Belichick, Romeo Crennel's um, construction of that game plan and the execution with Lawyer Malloy and Ty Law and such. That wasn't Tom Brady putting a team on his back and leading them to a, a, a championship in the seventh Super Bowl that he won. That wasn't Tom Brady balling out and going forty-four for you know fifty-two for forty-four for five hundred and six yards and eight touchdowns as the Buccaneers won sixty-three to fifty-nine. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was the man against Atlanta in that comeback, but I mean, I mean, again, 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 team team sport here. Team sport. So without Belichick and that defense, how many Super Bowls does Tom Brady have? Because Tom Brady really didn't become Tom Brady about until about four or five years into his career as far as a starting quarterback is concerned. Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady right off the bat. There were a couple of years there where, you know, he was considered A game manager, but a guy with some uh, talent, some guy with some potential to be a really good quarterback. He exploded on the scene, but the first couple of years, I mean, he wasn't Tom Brady as we know him. I mean, what's Tom Brady if the tuck rule isn't used against the um, Patriots in that game in Foxborough in the playoff against the uh, Raiders, their first journey toward winning a championship. So all of these things play into the narrative in terms of Just drop the argument about who's better, Bill Belichick, or who's more responsible for the success of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. It's a stupid argument, it's a ridiculous argument, and the easy answer is to say, both of those guys needed each other, both of those guys did great with each other, and both of, both of those guys should be celebrated as such when the game is being played on Sunday night, and it should be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New England Patriots, not Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. Asinine, ridiculous, Stupid! <laughs> Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Wendell's World in Sports. Remember that name. So just look at me and tell me what you see. You ain't seen the best of me yet. Give me time and I'll make you forget the rest. You got that right. Wendell's World in Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Recording this on a Friday afternoon after getting back from Mesquite, Nevada. I very interesting Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? Yeah, it was Wednesday. I had to, uh, I had to do in-house. I had to do an in-house situation. You know, students who uh, missed, uh, not missed class, but they came late. You're tardy a certain amount of times. Then you spend the entire day in detention and someone has to monitor the thing. So they were like, bingo, you draw the shortest straw. So I was in there, you had to be in there for the entire day, no cell phones, which for these kids, man, and just like your kids and every other kids around the ages of 15 to 18, if you take away their phones, it's almost like taking away their oxygen. So, you know, I had to deal with that and I had to deal with them folks moaning and groaning and complaining and why am I here and this is not fair, I was only two minutes late and this is bullshit and all this kind of nonsense. So I was like, man, let me tell you something. I've got seven flipping hours. I've got from seven to one Oh five to see what I can do to uh, rectify the situation and keep things under control. Because I got about 13 kids in here and about nine of them are, you know, they're, they're, they're bouncing off the walls. They're upset. They're looking to do mischievous things. They're making to look bad. They're making the, you know, they're looking to do bad decisions and all this kind of stuff. And there's somehow, some way I got to get control of this. I got to corral this. So, I thought about The Breakfast Club. Remember The Breakfast Club, the old movie uh, with Judd Nelson, my man Judd Nelson, and who else was in that? Molly Ringwald and Ali Sheedy and Anthony Michael Hall, Emilio Estevez, and my man Paul Gleason. Remember that movie? The Breakfast Club? Watched it a lot of times. Um, When I was growing up back in the day and I was like, I got to get myself a breakfast club type of situation where if you remember, you know, those kids sat around and they talked about the anxieties and the confusions and the joys and the highs and the lows of being teenagers. And they don't want to be like their parents. And this is the reason why they're in detention. And, you know, the nerd was ostracized from the Cool kids, and you know, the misfit was uh, attracted to the uh, princess and the prince, all that kind of nonsense, right? So I said, Screw it, man. I've got a pretty diversified group of folks in here. I'm going to do that shit. I know these kids are supposed to be online doing their stuff, but none of them are doing it. And if I'm going to have any chance to survive, then I've got to uh, do what I got to do. So just gathered the kids around, and for the last, I would say, three hours, just talked about life. Just talked about what it's all about. Talked about how difficult it is. Talked about how every day that you live your life, especially during your younger years, is all about learning. Is all about, uh, you know, getting better. Is all about building good, solid, uh foundational type of uh, deals in terms of being a good person and everything. So, we just talked about why you were in, in here. The certain responsibilities. You know what life is all about. They ask me questions. I ask them questions. They learn from me. I learn from them. And it was uh, one of the best days I ever had, substituting. It was uh, awesome. The kids were great, calmed them down, and had a lot of fun, learned something. They learned something. And uh, at the end of the day, while, you know, they would have ran through a wall to get the hell out of there, because as I mentioned before, they didn't have access to their phones and access to their friends and everything like that. It was also just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Basically told them, man, don't be telling people your business. I mean, you know, when you do some things, don't be telling people, don't don't be telling people you don't trust. Don't be spreading your business around. You know, you keep your business, your personal business to yourself. You might tell some close friends who you know are going to be there for your side, but man, don't don't feel the need to pander to uh, folks who are not down with you or are not down for you, man. If someone asks you why you went here and someone asks you what's going on and you don't want to tell them, just tell them mind your own business. That goes for me too. You know, if I'm, As an adult, if I start getting into your business about this, that, and the other, it's fine for you to say, hey, Mr. Wallace, back off. None of your business. Don't worry about it. It ain't affecting you, so don't worry about it. The less that you know about other people's drama and nonsense and bullshit, the better off you'll be. And it's tough. It's very tough to have that type of attitude, man. It's very tough. It takes a lot of maturity. It takes a a, a lifelong uh, education on that. I'm still trying to uh, do that. I'm still trying to... um, uh, get rid of some of my insecurities and stuff. It's a ongoing situation that you'll probably have to deal with for the rest of your life. But you know, you better start working on that. You better start getting into that. You better start getting that mindset right now when you're teenage years, because if you don't, it'll be something that's going to be haunting you. It's going to be something that's going to be causing you a lot of heartache, marriage, kids, Jobs. When you become an adult, those things, if you have those type of insecurities and you have uh, those type of weaknesses within your character and such, such, then it's uh, it's going to haunt you, man. It's going to haunt you. So, you know, you're talking about, well, I was only two minutes late. You said that you want to be a CEO and run your own business, right? Yeah. Okay, well, let me ask you something. If you're running a business and you had an employee come in late on a consistent basis, what would you do? Would you be be happy? Would you be upset? What happened if that employee came to you and said, well, I was only two minutes late. I was only five minutes late. I mean, you know, this, that, and the other. They threw you a bunch of excuses and you're needing this employee. You're counting on this employee to go ahead and work at your place of employment. The person that you hired, are you going to accept any type of excuses that they have if they continually, habitually come in late? Well, no, okay, well then why should the school do the same thing for you? I understand, you know, your mom, does that, the other, I understand that, uh, you know, but let me tell you something, if it was something to where you would have to get here on time, if you wanted to get here on time, you would do it. You might sacrifice, you might do some things that you might not want to do to get here on time, but if you wanted to get here on time, then you would go ahead and do it. That's a sign of growth, that's a sign of maturity, and that's a sign of something to where, building good habits no matter what the situation is going to be happening when you get older and real life starts and you become, you know, really responsible when you become a wife, when you become a mother, then those things, I mean, the stuff that you're pulling off now, that ain't going to work. Your mom has told you that. Your older sister has told you that. So you better take heed into what they're saying. You better take heed into what these adults are saying who have their best interest out for you. You better stop, you know, pretending like they're your enemy You better start building those good habits because if you're not, I'm telling you, you won't get detention if you continually do that when you're 25, 35, 45 and you're working at a job. They won't give you detention. They'll give you the unemployment line. They'll give you the security guard to escort you off the premises. So that goes for all of y'all. So you know what I'm saying? Get get started on that stuff right now. So it was a... absolutely fabulous discussion that we had talked about kids asking me well how was it like when you were going to school and ge- your generation what does your generation think about our generation and what do you think about our generation and this that the other and coming up here what have you learned about uh coming up here and we were very open and it was awesome i don't want to do in-house again but uh, it was uh, it was very open. Thank you very much for sharing that with me. Wendell's world is sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let me go back to speaking a little sports. Maybe some little New England and Tampa Bay. I spoke in the last uh, segment about the importance or the nonsense of trying to make nonsense, make uh, manure when there's no manure to be made. Um, the relationship of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, what this game really means in terms of uh, Brady going back to New England and facing off against his old coach and and all this type of nonsense. Again, we're week four into the season. And the totality of the season, this game really is minuscule in terms of which teams are going. Because what does it mean? Let's think about this. Okay, Tampa Bay comes into New England and let's just say, for instance, Tampa Bay come to New England, and they blow him out. Tom Brady is awesome, throws three or four touchdown passes. New England never had a chance. The shots of Bill Belichick looking bewildered and angered and frustrated and defeated and all these type of things. And all the Brady folks and all the Brady fans are like, yeah, man, I told you. I told you, Brady, was the reason why New England was so successful. Belichick is overrated, blah, blah, all this type of stuff, right? Yeah, all right, this, that, and the other. What happens after this hoopla and this narrative and this game is over? Tampa Bay continues the season. They win the NFC South and then they go into the playoffs and they lose. They lose in the first round at home. I don't know against who, but they lose in the first round. What what does this victory, the first or the third day of October mean? What does it mean? Okay, you beat New England. So what? At the end of the season, if the Buccaneers don't make it at least to the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, if they flame out and they lose in the first round or whatever, what what, what does this mean? Well, Tom Brady at the in the exit interviews are going to say, well, you know, we didn't make it in the playoffs, or you know, we 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 thought that we were going to um, make it to the Super Bowl. Everything was set up for us, but that one bad Sunday cost us, and I didn't play well. So because of that. You don't get an opportunity to uh, repeat as champions, but I tell you one thing: I'm really not worried about that because we beat New England. <laughs> Week four, October third, we beat New England, and I showed Bill Belichick that I was the reason why we won all those Super Bowls. Ha 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 ha! Hip hip hooray! I mean, what? I mean, what? I, I don't. And I don't know exactly what this game really is supposed to constitute in terms of the success or failure of the season. Now, each team has different expectations. Tampa Bay, one of the elite teams. Tom Brady, being 44 years old, I know he wants to play till 50. Giselle's like, really? But, uh, you know, Tom Brady has only an infinite number, has has a a small number of chances to uh, get back and compete for championships. So, you know, every opportunity missed is an opportunity that uh, he'll regret uh, as far as that is concerned. New England, on the other hand, they're rebuilding. Got themselves a rookie quarterback and uh, their expectations are not as far. Their expectations are not as high. So when everything is all said and done, how much does this game here play into anything in terms of evaluating at the end of the season was this season a success or failure for either Tampa Bay or New England? What does it mean? If New England overachieves and they lose to tampa on sunday what impact does that have if tampa loses to new england and then fulfills its expectations and wins the super bowl who cares who cares if new england beat them who cares you think tom brady's gonna be sitting there going god damn it i won the eighth super bowl but boy i give it up i give this up in a heartbeat if i could just go back and beat new england on uh on the fourth game of the season come on now so i you know I'm more interested, really. I think the person with even more pressure, we talk about Brady and this, I think Mac Jones, if you think about it, this is going to be the first test for Mac Jones. Big game because of the hype and hoopla, not big game in terms of, you know, whether the season is going to be success or playoffs or anything like that. But this is going to be his first test. As we say, under the quote unquote spotlight, Of uh, the national glare The national attention So it'll be interesting to see What is his mental makeup How much has he uh, grown So far being in the uh, Patriots organization Under the tutelage of Josh McDaniel And Bill Belichick That's that's the main thing I'm looking at That's the main thing I'm going to be interested in How is Mac Jones going to respond If he responds well Then you know what Hey, we've got ourselves something cool And if Mac Jones is a Super Bowl champion, say, in five or six years, then even the decision to let Tom Brady go, even if he wins another Super Bowl or two with Tampa Bay, is going to be muted somewhat. Or the impact of the argument that New England and Belichick let um, Tom Brady go earlier, some nonsense like that. If letting Tom Brady leave then led to ultimately New England getting Mac Jones... And then Mac Jones becomes the type of quarterback that New England wants him to be for the next 10 or 12 years. Was it the right decision to let Tom Brady go when New England did? Even the year after they let him go, he won a championship? Of course. Bill Belichick is always thinking long term. How many examples have we seen where Bill Belichick will uh, let a player or, or let, cut a player, trade a player one year early? Before one year too late, whether it be lawyer Malloy, whether it be Ty Law, whether it be Richard Seymour, you know these, these things have happened. So, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm I'm trying to look and see what uh, Mac Jones has, and pay attention less to my goodness, you know, bigger game for you. Might, what's what's a bigger game for Bill Belichick or Tom Brady or or all of this nonsense? So. That's the deal I'm looking at with that. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Some other things that I'm looking at. The uh, Chicago Bears, as I mentioned before, playing at Detroit. <laughs> Matt Nagy being uncommittal, noncommittal in this decision about who's going to be the, not just the starting quarterback moving forward against Detroit, but who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Bears moving forward for the rest of the season. I mean what what is this going to be about? Now, the first start for Justin Fields was a disaster beyond anyone's comprehension last uh, week against Cleveland. Fields 6 for 20, 68 yards, three rushing attempts for 12 yards, but uh if you take a look at Chicago on offense, beyond putrid, beyond unprofessional, beyond horrible. Six first downs, one of 11 on third downs. Forty-seven net yards, one net yard passing. One, and one point one yards per play offensively. That's uh, that's coaching malpractice. I, I that's that's you know we can we can sit here and we can bag and we can talk about Justin Fields and for those who are fans of Andy Dalton or maybe those who are were in favor of not starting Fields right now, you could take a look at those numbers and say see 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 no that's. That's also just as much on the coach. Just as much on the coach. According to ESPN stats and information, Chicago never attempted a pass beyond twenty yards. And never ran a route more than twenty yards downfield. I guess not because the offensive line stunk. <laughs> they couldn't they couldn't block anybody. Jadavion J- Davion Clowney and Miles Garrett will do that to you. But even so, man, you're still a you're still professional football players. So I, I don't know. Nagy doubles at the play caller and the primary person that the, you know, game plan designer, that was the best you came up with? Look, Justin Fields should be the starter for the remainder of the season, bar none. Bar none. And if I'm the person owning the team, if I'm the person writing the checks, if I'm the check writer and I'm employing Matt Nagy, I call him up and I say, put an end to this bullshit. Justin Fields is starting. Well, Coach, I feel, no, no. Well, Mr. Wallace, Justin is, no, 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 no. Justin Fields is starting. We brought you here because of your reputation as far as working with quarterbacks and turning them around. You're a Sean McVay guy. You are in charge of turning Justin Fields around. I'm not interested in a retreat like Andy Dalton. I'm not interested in a retreat like um, Nick Foles. I am hiring you. I hired you to change our success rate for the quarterback position. You failed with Mitchell Trubisky and you said, you know, we got to go in a different direction, this, that, and the other. So we did what we need this organization to do to get ourselves a potential franchise quarterback. We moved up nine picks in the draft, this past draft to get ourselves Justin Fields. It is your responsibility to get him to play the quarterback position so if you can't think, if if, if if by now you can't get Justin Fields in a position to be able to be a competent quarterback, I'm not asking him to be Patrick Mahomes, I'm not asking him to be Tom Brady, I'm not asking him to be Aaron Rodgers, but damn, he should he should be at least at the same level as Mac Flippin' Jones. He should be at the same level of at least a Teddy Bridgewater. He should be at least somewhere near the level of a, I don't know, Flippin' Joe Burrow back, at this time during Joe Burrow's rookie season. If you can't do that, then we need to find another coach who can do those things. Because, again, this is what we brought you along to do. So you have you have the entire year. I, I don't know what the expectations are in terms of numbers or wins or anything like that, but Matt Nagy's job, he's being paid to develop Justin Fields into a franchise quarterback. If he can't do that, then he needs to move on to something else. If it's the best thing for him to do, or if the best thing for Chicago to win football games is to play Andy Dalton, then we need to go to another coach who can kind of go ahead and do these things. Because the hoopla amongst the Chicagoans, especially the Bears fans, when Justin Fields was drafted, was off the charts. David Kaplan, a local writer in Chicago, he wrote a column talking about drafting Fields as the best sports moment for Chicago in five flipping years. Again, Chicago moved up nine spots to draft him. <laughs> Sorry, You got to do something, man, and and sitting there talking about, well, I don't know, I don't know, and sitting there talking about that putrid performance was also on me. Yeah, hell yeah, it was on you. So why are we paying you? This is what we're paying you millions of dollars to do? We better start seeing some real improvements real fast with Justin Fields. And we're not talking about on the practice field. We're talking about in the game or else... We need to look for another coach. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Real quick, I know I want to get to a break, but I also want to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Carolina Panthers, a game where I think both teams, is going to be a good test for both teams to gauge how good they are so far this season. Um, the Cowboys, Dak Prescott, first three games, just playing like an elite franchise quarterback. First game, in 11 months, against the defending champions on the road, threw for more than 400 yards, passed the ball, what, 58 times? That in itself was uh, remarkable. Second game, he completed better than 85% of his passes against the uh, Chargers on the road. Third game, he completed 21 of 26 passes, threw for three touchdowns against the Eagles on Monday night. The Cowboys are having a great run-pass ratio. Balance, balance, balance. The past two games. Against the Chargers and the Eagles, Dallas threw the ball 53 times. They ran it 76 times. Highly flipping elude Zeke Elliott had 95 yards rushing and 17 carries against Philadelphia. Check. Tony Pollard ran for over 100 yards against the Chargers. He's averaging 7 yards per carry on this last 24 rushing attempts. Check. The Cowboys' defense has greatly improved from last season. Against Brady and Justin Herbert, hey, they're still ranking around 11th in terms of the uh, pro football grading. So, check. So, those things are coming into play. Now, the offense for Dallas is going to be facing its toughest test on Sunday against the Panthers, who uh, front four are playing extremely well. What am I looking at here? Yeah, so they're playing extremely well. Sorry, there was something on the television. So, yeah, the uh, Carolina defense, you know, they've allowed, um, you know, about 14 points total now when you're going up against uh, the New York Jets and you're going up against the Houston Texans and you're going up against Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints. Sure, we're we're not, you know, Dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas or uh, dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie and proclaiming that the Carolina Panthers are the 1985 Chicago Bears. But the Panthers have allowed only 45 yards rushing per game and through three weeks, they're only allowing two and a half yards per carry, which is outstanding no matter who you're playing because as far as rushing is concerned, the Saints do have a pretty good rushing game led by Alvin Kamara. So, yes, I'm going to be interested to see exactly how good this offense is because, as I mentioned before, the Cowboys are going to be playing against the best defense that they've played against so far this year. The Panthers are going to be going up against the best offense and the best quarterback that they've played so far this year. And what about Sam the Man Darnold, huh? How about that? How about, Sam, I am? Big difference when you actually get some real coaching. <laughs> when you go from Adam Gaze to uh, Joe Brady. Ah, okay. Hey, he's been great. You know, he's been amazing. If it wasn't for Brett Scott, I guess you could say so far, he's been the most surprised, as far as positivity, the most surprised player in the league. He's gone from the worst total QBR over the past three seasons to now number six. He's completed 68% of his passes, way up from somewhere around 60 when he was in New York. How about that when you get yourself some real coaching, some real quarterback coaching, when you get yourself a guy who actually had done some great things working with a quarterback? How about that? Interesting. And he's thrown three touchdown passes to only one interception, and he's had three rushing touchdowns, two fewer than he had from 2018 to 2020. Sam Darnold getting things done. Now, does that mean he's going to fulfill the potential again we'll see when he takes on uh the cowboys and if they get into a shootout and they're going to be asking donald to do a little bit more than what he's been doing we'll we'll see still too early to make any real proclamations in terms of if he has quote unquote turned the corner if you want to say it that way if i could use that cliche but uh so far sam donald has been a great pickup for the carolina panthers so yeah man this uh Spoke about all I needed to speak about in terms of, uh, hey, you know what? The Panthers and the Cowboys is going to be a good game. Spoke a little bit more about the game of the century between the Buccaneers and the New England Patriots and even hit on a little bit about the situation concerning Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. So the NFL weekend, week four, rolling on. Some interesting storylines, some interesting uh, matchups. Interested to see exactly how everything It's going to turn out. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The final segment of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. I wanted to get into some NBA talk. I wanted to get into the situation which is happening with Ben Simmons and his Philadelphia 76ers and the drama and the nonsense that's happening uh, during the opening Of the training camps for the 76ers. I wanted to get into some speaking about what's happening with the Los Angeles Lakers. I really wanted to get into the discussion about some of these players. Bradley Beal, Jonathan Isaac, um, uh, Kyrie Irving in terms of their stance about getting vaccinated. Uh, Excuse me. I just yawned a bit. I um, wanted to uh, get into all that. But you know what? Uh, I want to shelve that. I am going to table that for... My next upcoming podcast, which is going to be dropping either Tuesday or Wednesday, depending upon what my schedule is, depending upon what they're going to be having me doing next week up in Mesquite at the high school, so... I'm going to go ahead and uh, wait so I can go full bear, full force into that in terms of uh, the love of my life, the NBA. So that'll be shelved until my next podcast, Tuesday or Wednesday. But right now, of course, I think the podcast, if we're speaking about football, that we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be hitting about the uh, college football this weekend. Some really good games, some really interesting games. We got the marquee game being the number eight Arkansas Razorbacks going up against them number two ranked Georgia Bulldogs. We also have some other great games in terms of Notre Dame playing Cincinnati. Cincinnati is going to be going on the road to be playing Notre Dame. A big game for both of those teams. Mississippi ranked number twelve in the number twelve in the country going up against Alabama. All of this stuff about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and all this kind of stuff is just as interesting. It's going to be the uh, Mississippi uh, Mississippi uh, team going up against Alabama with Lane Kiffin versus uh, Nick Saban. That's going to be pretty interesting. Other games of interest on Saturday, you have the number 14th ranked Michigan Wolverines at Wisconsin. Oregon is going to be at Stanford. Number 6 Oklahoma at Kansas State and Arizona State Herm Edwards. The fighting Herm Edwards are going to be at the number 20th ranked UCLA Chip Kelly and UCLA Bruins. So the best game of the weekend, of course, is going to be Arkansas and Georgia. I guess what's going to be the storyline for this? I guess the best thing that you can probably break down in terms of uh, the game between Arkansas and Georgia is which uh, quarterback or which injured quarterback is going to be playing better and which team is going to be able to control the line of scrimmage to make sure that that quarterback is going to be able to do the things that he needs to do for the victory. Arkansas is KJ Jefferson. Briefly left the game this past Saturday against Texas A&M with a knee injury. And uh, he's been limited at practice along with the uh, top wide receiver for Arkansas, Tra- uh, Traylon Burks. Georgia, on the other hand, JT Daniels, he's already missed a game with an oblique injury. So we don't know exactly how close to 100% or 90% or 88.65437465% he's going to be. But, um, you know, Georgia... We're taking a look and stilling to see, as I mentioned before, on some of the other podcasts. Georgia, their path to a championship relies on JT Daniel, not Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett is a nice quarterback, but Stetson Bennett is not the type of quarterback of physical nature or skill that's going to be able to propel Georgia to be serious contenders for a championship, even with the best defense in the country. But JT Daniels, the five-star recruit from California Matter Day High School in Santa Ana, California, who played a year at USC before losing his job to Keevan Slovis and then transferring over to Georgia, at at least based on talent-wise, gives the Georgia Bulldogs a real quarterback that's going to give them the best opportunity to go up and win that championship. The first test, of course, is going to be at Arkansas. And also, it's going to be important for each one of these teams speaking about Georgia and Arkansas to win this game, just due to the fact that when we're speaking about one loss records and we're speaking about teams like the Cincinnati or a BYU or a Notre Dame or an Iowa or one of those type of teams that because of the schedule might end the regular season undefeated. And normally when you're speaking about the 14 college playoff, that of course the SEC champion is going to be there, but always there's going to be a strong argument that the, um, runner up for that championship or the loser of the SEC championship game should be also strongly considered, especially if they have only one uh, loss on their resume. This is going to be a game where if Georgia can go ahead and pull off this victory over Arkansas, then they go ahead and beat uh, Florida on the road. And then they go into the SEC championship game against Alabama, where both teams are going to be undefeated and both teams the where they're situated now in the rankings are going to be ranked number two, number one, and number two in the polls, I mean, it could be almost a fait accompli in terms of both of those teams. The uh, Arkansas, excuse me, the uh, Georgia Bulldogs and the Alabama Crimson Tide, depending upon the scenario, getting into the playoffs regardless of what happens in the SEC Championship Games, especially if you take a look at the schedules and you see that Alabama's schedule compared to Georgia's is not going to be as strong if Georgia can go ahead and take care of business again, beating Clemson to begin the season, who at the time was ranked in the top five, then going ahead and beating a top 10 team in Arkansas, and then going ahead and beating a top 11, top 10 team at a neutral site in Jacksonville, playing against Florida. So this is a big game, big game for Georgia. And it remains the same in terms for uh, Arkansas, in terms of their chances of getting also into the um, championship game, even though being in the SEC West, That Arkansas is going to have to eventually play Alabama near the end of the season, while Georgia, if they go ahead and take care of Bendis and win the SEC East, they should go into that game, the championship game against against the uh, Crimson Tide undefeated if Alabama continues that path in terms of being undefeated wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us georgia's defense has been the best in the country as i mentioned before you need evidence let me give you some evidence georgia has allowed a total a total a total of 23 points in four games They rank first at both rushing and passing success rate allowed. They've stopped 26 of run plays at or behind the line of scrimmage, domination homes, and have sacked the quarterback on 13% of pass attempts, also ranked in the top 15 in the country. Um, The running backs are averaging around 3.5 yards per carry against Georgia, just the dominant defense, the best defense in the country, which allows... A team like Georgia with its quarterback not have to put up 30 to 40 points a game because their defense is so good. Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Um, What can I say this about Cincinnati? Being a non-Power 5 school. This is the best and probably only opportunity to show that they deserve to be considered as one of the best teams in the country right here. Uh, The remaining schedule after they play Notre Dame You're taking a look at Temple, you're taking a look at UCF, which is Universal of Central Florida, at Navy, at Tulane, Tulsa, at the University of South Florida, SMU, and then East Carolina. Nothing. Nothing. Which also means then that if Cincinnati is going to be serious contenders to try to convince the committee to put them in an opportunity to where they can compete for a championship, for instance, if chaos happens, and you have a bunch of one-loss teams or a bunch of two-loss teams, if the playoff committee is going to be really serious about considering Cincinnati, if it is truly undefeated after they beat Notre Dame, they better put a wallop on Notre Dame. They better have a decisive victory against Notre Dame. Because I'm telling you one thing, when it comes down to teams like Alabama and Georgia and Florida and Arkansas and Ohio State and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, Oklahoma and such, they're always going to take precedent over Cincinnati. A power five school is always going to take precedent over a non-power five school. And the main argument that's going to be levied against Cincinnati is going to be their schedule, strength of schedule and that type of thing. So because Cincinnati is not going to have the schedule that's going to uh, be stand, that's, that's gonna stand out if you place that schedule up against teams from the SEC and such, they better go ahead and with their only chance to make a a statement to really go ahead, go on the road against a team at the time that's going to be ranked in the top 10 and put a whooping on them. If they win this game 24-21 or 21-17, I think basically, unless I mentioned before, complete chaos happens. I think that basically eliminates Cincinnati from any possibility of breaking into the top four. So I think the chances are are slim, even if they go ahead and blow out Notre Dame. But I think that uh, the chances are even slimmer to none if they uh, go ahead and just barely beat Notre Dame. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about the statement game for Cincinnati, this is also a statement game for Notre Dame. They have not looked like contenders, shall we say. They've, they've been winning games. Good job. Very nice. to be been doing what they had to do. But where is their impressive victory? Well, you could take a look and say, well, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, well, Wisconsin is looking like it's in danger. They could even be looking at a four to five loss season in the team that was ranked in the top 15 to begin the um, season. If they go ahead and they lose to Michigan at home, if they lose to Michigan at home, it'll be their third or their second, vict- uh, second loss at home. So the strength of the victory that, Notre Dame had over Wisconsin a game that was 13 to 10 in the lead for the Badgers once uh, late later late in the third period that's not going to be looking that uh, impressive if Wisconsin continues to falter and underachieve this season. So this is a game also if you take a look at the schedule for Notre Dame, that this is also going to be their last big chance to make a big statement. If you take a look at the remaining schedule for the fighting Irish after Cincinnati, Cincinnati, where they play at Virginia Tech, USC, North Carolina, Navy, at Virginia, Georgia Tech, and then at Stanford. Not a bunch of really quality games out there in terms of impressing the selection committee. So I think, really, if you take a look, an undefeated record, wouldn't Trump... Oh, I said that word again. Let me try this again. I think an undefeated record for Notre Dame would not supersede a one-loss uh, uh, SEC team or if Oklahoma continues to win but look average. I, I think Oklahoma, as they continue to fall, I think it's a situation where still is like, hey, you know what? Oklahoma is still going to be winning because they're in the Big 12, because of who they are with um, their pedigree and uh, what they're all about, that I think that uh, Notre Dame would not be able to leapfrog um, Oklahoma, even if they lost. So that's the that's the deal there. For the starting quarterback for Notre Dame, Jack Cohn is reportedly making good progress in his return from a left ankle injury, although he split time with Drew Pine leading the starting offensive practice this week, so I'm quite sure that Cone will be the starting quarterback moving forward. And uh we'll see what happens with that. Expecting a pretty good game. I'm interested to see. I really don't know too much about Cincinnati, so I'll be interested to see exactly if they're for real or they're not for real. There's been times in the past where I've kind of put my interest into non five power conference teams, and by the end of the season, it was like, well, that was a waste of time, so we'll see what happens with Cincinnati, even though, again, if they play well but don't blow them out i just think basically their chances of making the playoff the 14 playoffs are over wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us let me in with ark with uh, mississippi at alabama alabama going to be continuing to see what they can do this is going to be the second uh toughest game that they've had so far after uh, getting by florida don't know as far as um you know what type of um challenge that they're going to have Mississippi ranked number 12 Lane Kiffin known for his offense he has some pretty good uh, skill set players to go with him this time moving forward he has a junior quarterback that looks like he can play the college football game pretty good at a high level good quarterbacks mobile quarterbacks have always caused alabama some trouble i know that they uh you know got a little bit better in terms of their execution last week but they were playing an inferior opponent Let's see what they can do moving forward in this game against Mississippi, a game that I'm going to be extremely interested in. All right, I'm out of here. I am done. I am finished. Time for me to go ahead and watch a little bit of SmackDown. And after that, watch a little AEW Rampage. I am pumped, rip-roaring, ready to go to watch those things. Everybody. Listening to the podcast, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. Do what you need to do to make this world, to make everything around you a better place to be. Listening, learning, learning, listening. If you're going to be going to the bar, if you're going to be going to the sports bar and you're going to be sitting there watching some sports with somebody who you might not know, and you start talking about some things, make sure that you go ahead and show those folks that you're a good person, that you have a good heart, that you're a good human being and you're looking to see what you can do to make the world around us a little bit better. It would be nice. It would be appreciated. Wendell's World in Sports. Five-star reviews are welcome. Look us up anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast. That's it. I'm done. Time for a little bit of Smackdown. Smack me down with a little bit of music.